It's one thing I love about spiritual warfare is I'm picking a fight I don't have to fight because I'm picking a fight that my father fights for me. That's pretty amazing. And he doesn't back down. Nobody likes a king that backs down. Call that a coward. You see a man that backs down means he's a coward. He's not willing to stand. He doesn't have much of a spine. He's afraid. That doesn't exactly instill confidence in the people he's supposed to protect and provide for. But they sang so beautifully that our God has no back down in him. He will not back down facing armies of thousands. He fiercely defends us. There's power and confidence in that. And that instills great trust. Knowing that I can rest. Because my father fights for me. Anybody in a battle? Anybody find yourself in a battle right now? The king of kings. Who is undefeated. Not a lot of undefeated fighters in this world. Rocky Marciano, Floyd Mayweather, it's about it. But Jesus has never lost a battle. In all of history, in all of eternity, not just in his era, not just in modern times, but he's never lost, nor can he lose. It's just not possible. So as long as you don't quit, you can't lose. Let that sit in for a moment. As long as you don't quit, you can't lose. Keep getting back up. When you fall, arise. Rejoice not against me. Oh, my enemy, for when I fall, I shall arise. That means I'm not going to quit. Devil might have snuck one in. He might have landed one on the jaw. I might be on the canvas, but I'm going to get up. I'm not going to quit. He's been too good to quit on. He's been nothing but good. And that's what your father wants you to know. As long as you don't quit, you can't lose. So be full of hope. Be encouraged that God is on your side. Amen. Why don't you clap your hands to the Lord if that resonates in your spirit at all? As our ushers come in preparation to wait upon the people of the Lord and receive an offering as we sow bountifully into his kingdom. And as they're coming, we'd just like to say a very special welcome to any guests that are with us tonight. We'd love to get connected with you. We also just want to say thank you to everybody that's in the house tonight. Amen. Honor our guests always, but I want to honor our members right now. Thank you for coming. It is not cool when no one is here. It's not. Thank you, my brother. I mean, we did it, all right? We did it through COVID. Like, we were here preaching to a camera, and it's not as cool. So, wasn't anybody in the sanctuary. So, thank you, members. We honor you very highly. You're what make you and your involvement and everything that you do, your service for the kingdom. That's what makes this a wonderful church. The presence of the God first, presence of God first and foremost. And then great people that serve and are faithful. You just can't replace that. Let's pray over this offering. Lord, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your faithful people that are here. I pray for blessing 
to be just poured out in abundance upon them as never before to be blessed in your name by your presence and for your glory let grace rest upon them let grace saturate them rebuke the devourer for their sake let your angels be a guard around them as you send them to minister to the heirs of salvation let your angels encamp round about them and the homes of them that fear you and let that be a protective hedge from your sovereign hand that rests upon us as never before cause it to happen we give you all of the glory and we are careful to give you all the glory in the matchless name of jesus we pray and somebody said amen amen ushers go ahead brother go ahead and wait upon the people if you have your bibles i know you're standing turn to the book of hebrews chapter 12 you can read verses 25 through 29 tonight hebrews 12 25 through 29 I made reference and alluded to this scripture briefly last Wednesday, and the Lord just kept thundering it into my mind and spirit today. And so tonight, as opposed to just alluding to it, it'll serve as our base text for tonight's thought, message, and service. So Hebrews 12, 25 through 29 from the New King James Version it says this see that you do not refuse him who speaks for if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven whose voice then shook the earth but now he has promised saying yet once more i shake not only the earth but also heaven. Now this yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken. If you can be shaken, you're not going to remain. You're going to get shook loose. You're going to get shaken out. As of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Sometimes you just got to figure out who's who. And the way to do that is through trial, adversity, struggle, and resistance. Not abundance and blessing and mountaintops and everything going great and rainbows around every corner. If you want to be an elite warrior for our great American military, say you wanted to be a Navy SEAL. I've read countless books about them and their training. If you wanted to be a Navy SEAL, do you know what you have to go through? Possibly the worst training on earth. The most brutal, hardcore training available to people. That's what you have to go through. The dropout and attrition rate is unbelievably high. You have to stay up for an entire week doing evolution after evolution. Hard physical activity. You got to get wet and sandy every day of your life in 56 to 60 degree water. You have to swim in it. You got to carry a massive log with you everywhere and a boat over your head everywhere during hell week, the week you don't get any sleep. It's not for chumps and punks and weaklings. They are shaking to see who's who. And the weak get shaken loose. And the ones that didn't have it and couldn't make it, they're the ones that quit and voluntary drop out and ring the bell. 
and you can't predict by looking at them who's going to remain and who's going to make it to graduation day. It's impossible. Because the thing that keeps you going in that level of difficulty is in here. It's not visible from the outside. And the guys that look like bodybuilders maybe a Rambo, 80s reference, sometimes are the first to drop out. And a guy you didn't think would make it is still standing at the end. Because if you want to find out who's elite and who's not, you got to shake some stuff up. And God is saying, at the end, I want the elite to come to the forefront. I want to create an elite unit of kingdom warriors in my kingdom. And so I'm going to shake some things. I'm not just going to shake the earth. I'm going to shake the heavens. And that that can be shaken will not remain. But if you can't be shaken, you will remain. He goes on to say, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, kingdom warriors, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. With the help of the Holy Ghost tonight, I just want to speak to you from this thought. The time of shaking. The time of shaking. It's upon us. It happens in phases. It has been happening in phases, but we're in a phase of it right now. That we've not seen before. But we are in the time of shaking. And it's time for us to get more connected and committed than we've ever been before because if you want to still be here when it wraps up now's the time to dig in and get serious about prayer worship walking with God and serving in the kingdom of God now more than ever now's the time if you are waiting on a time now's the time I'm telling you in the Holy Ghost now is the time let us pray Lord thank you for your anointing thank you for your unction that comes by your grace for none of us have merited it it comes by your grace and is solely for your glory we pray that you would speak in this house loose revelation loose understanding bind confusion and clarity bind all of the things that would keep us from seeing you clearly bind fog heaviness of mind and thought cause scales to fall from our spiritual eyes and our perception prophetically so we may see you and understand you and your kingdom that we may walk in it so loose clarity of thought and vision prophetically and bind confusion and fog and heaviness and cause some of us to awake from spiritual slumber because your word says woe unto them that are at ease in Zion. And so woe to us that have fallen into slumber. Help us to awaken that we may become what we have yet to become. Because it's never too late to become who we might have been. So God, I thank you for the hope that is in this house because of your presence and grace. And we ask you to flow and saturate this room with your power. As never before, in the matchless name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Can you clap your hands as you're seated?
Amen. Thank you for the five of you that did that. God is good. So I've been in a detailed study with a group in Singapore via Zoom, Singapore, India, Malaysia, the, the Southeast Asian region. Every Tuesday, a group of leaders there and pastors that we love very dearly. And we've been diving into Daniel as deeply as the Lord will allow us to and spending a lot of time, hour and a half, two-hour sessions on Tuesday mornings uh, for me, Tuesday nights for them, looking at the parallels of this book and the prophetic symbols and metaphors of this book, and it's, it's very inspiring because Daniel is one of my favorite people in the Bible. He really is. He's a phenomenal person. And I had been praying for over probably the past year and a half or so, I guess, I've been praying for the Lord to send that same anointing and that revelation and even the same angels that were with them there in Babylon, Daniel and Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah, that he would send those same angels to us so that we would catch the revelation, the unction and the power to be able to do in a nation of darkness what they were able to do in that nation of darkness, nations of darkness, empires of darkness. So that we may be able to be salt and light, but we, may be, we might be able to walk in a spirit of excellence that rested upon them in everything that we do. And the Lord showed me this is very important, and he used uh, my son's name, Zion, to show me this. I'd always wanted to name my son Zion uh, from as early as, as I can remember, probably since high school. I wanted to name my son Zion if I had one. And so I was looking at that in Hebrew well after he was with us. And I looked at his name in Hebrew, and it fascinated me because the last three letters of his name spell Greece. And if you know us, you know that we lived in Greece, Athens, Greece, uh, for, for a time. And so that didn't make sense to me because Greek thought and Hebrew thought, Jewish thought, are, are quite different. And I, I won't take time to go into the differences, but they're very, very different, sometimes just polar opposite each other. And so I was trying to figure out, okay, God, why do the last three letters of the name Zion, Zion's Hill, where the Holy Ghost fell, where David is buried, I mean, Mount Zion, why are the last three letters, why do they spell Yavin, which is Greece? And it, it, it blew my mind and said, he said, look, you're focusing on the wrong thing. Look at the first letter. Then look at the last three. And the first letter is Sadi, and Sadi means righteousness, seeking righteousness. Now, if you think about what does is, what is Greek thought represent? What does the Greek mindset of the culture represent? Well, it represents some really interesting things. A lot of them are very good. That you take care of your body, that you exercise, you eat properly, a lot of olive oil, good Mediterranean diet. It stands for excellence in architecture, excellence in beauty, in the, in the intellect, intelligence, philosophy, thinking, art, beautiful things. But the Greek focused so much on that that they focused on it so intensely that it brought about the peril of righteousness. And so some of their lead philosophers like Socrates, who was caught doing something very untoward and very immoral, he was confronted by a teacher, a, a student. And he said, teacher, why do you do this? Why have we caught you acting like this immorally 
when you teach that we should not do these things. It was a duplicity that the student was calling out in the teacher. Fair enough. Socrates said, Socrates the teacher and Socrates the man are two different people, and the two never have to meet. Think about that. That's beyond pathetic. That's a level of duplicity that's hard to truly, truly mention, truly describe. Great duplicity, shockingly weak. And so the Greek focused so much on those things outwardly that the inward thing, the inward spirituality began to perish. But along comes the name Zion to show us the balance of those things. And the first letter is Sadi. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and then all these other things will be added to you. So it's not just righteousness and then I forsake my health, I forsake my body, I forsake beauty, I forsake the intellect, and I education and everything else. It's not it at all. That's not what God is looking for. He's looking for the balance of all of those things flowing together. That's what he's after. That's the true balance and equilibrium of living the kingdom life. That those things are not separate things. It all comes together. It's not compartmentalized. It all flows together so that excellence and the excellence of his excellency is upon and resting upon everything I do. And so Daniel, who is here in a pagan country, pagan culture, has the excellence of God resting upon him. And what does it lead to? What do they say of Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah? They were found ten times better than everybody else in Babylon. Not just spiritually, but physically. They said they looked better. The countenance was better. Their athleticism was better. They were better looking. Ten times better than everybody in Babylon. That's phenomenal to me. And so I I was asking God, send that to me. So looking at this book and asking God to show us how to live in this level of excellence so that everything points, not to us, but to the source of this excellence. That's the point of these things, is that it ends up directing people to the source of excellence itself, which is the presence and power and spirit of God, the God, the only God. And that's what Daniel did. Every leader he was connected to ends up saying, your God is God. And they end up praising and worshiping God who they did not know because they see God through the lens of the life of Daniel. Not because Daniel taught them a Bible study. Not because Daniel got Torah and taught them anything. It was just because they observed his life, his character, his nature, He said, something's different about that boy. He walks different. He talks different. He looks different. It's because the anointing of God that's upon him. So it caused great prosperity. And Daniel is living proof that if we stay with the king and in his kingdom principles, we will remain stable no matter how traumatic the shaking may be around us. There's hope in that. 
What does the other prophecy say about the end time? All this bad stuff is happening, but they that know their God shall be strong and do exploits and instruct many. That's what you need to be shooting for. That didn't just happen and materialize out of the ether. It didn't just happen and fall upon him randomly. He sought the presence of God. He stayed in the presence of God. And you become like what you worship. So when he stayed in the presence of God and worshiped God repeatedly, he began to take on the nature of the excellence of God and the character of God and the holiness of God and the perfect love of God and the wisdom of God and the knowledge of God because he was in the presence of God, worshiping him three times a day. He was obsessed with the presence of God and he took on the nature of the God he worshiped. So whatever you worship, you will become like. Whatever you spend the most time with, you will become like. That can be a show. It amazes me how much content people can consume in shows. I have a friend who had not watched any of a show that was six to seven seasons long. And in one week, he caught up. Seven seasons in a week. Do you have any idea how much time that takes? How much content you're putting in here? If I'm binge watching multiple season after multiple season of shows and I'm not spending time with God in prayer and I'm not spending time with his word, I'm not even meditating about his word, I am not worshiping God. Because worship involves time, intentionality of intellect, and that's what I'm doing. I'm sowing that into those things. I'm worshiping those things. No, I'm not bowing, lifting my hands, and burning incense to it, but I am worshiping it because of the time I'm investing in it. That is an element, the base element of worship. It's the time I sacrificed there. You didn't sacrifice an animal, but you sacrificed hours of time that God made and that God gave you. And so on the altar of that idol, the sacrifice is our time. The time we sow into it. And we become like what we worship. So we need to guard that we need to mind that and we need to watch that and Daniel had excellence because of where he put his time they could not find a single error in his life 60 something years of service they couldn't find a single error couldn't find a skeleton in his closet and they looked hard they couldn't find anything you know why he was a worshiper of Jehovah. He prayed three times a day. And he caught the heart of God. The character of God. And so the only way they could convict him is by making prayer illegal. They said there's one thing this guy's going to do without fail, and that's pray. We can't find anything he's ever done wrong. 
We can't find a fault. We can't find a bribe he took. We can't find anything. So we're going to have to make prayer illegal if we're going to catch him. I pray that can be said of us. Because if there's one thing they're going to do, it's pray without ceasing and without fail. If there's one thing they're going to do that we can bet on and that we can count on, it's they're going to spend time in the presence of the God they claim to worship. They won't just talk about it, they'll be about it. And they'll pray and seek his face. That's how they caught Daniel. It's the only way they could catch him. They had to make time with God illegal. Because that's the only thing he was absolutely going to do every single day of his life without fail and did. So Daniel lived through violent, the violent fall of two world powers. Israel and Babylon. Remember we're talking about shaking. This guy is in environments that are shaking all around him. Jerusalem has fallen. Israel has fallen. And he's led away captive to the maniacal king Nebuchadnezzar, who God then gives him favor with. He serves in his court for some time, quite a long time. And then Babylon falls to Persia. So he lives through two violent overthrows of two massive, major, historically important world powers. But Daniel isn't shaken. Everything else is shaken. But Daniel is just shaken to the top of all the empires. Everyone that conquered that area. He ends up in a place of position, power, and favor. While other people are shaken loose, he's shaken to the top. Because he's in the kingdom that cannot be shaken. He's in the principles of the kingdom that cannot be shaken. And in a time of shaking, we need to scream kingdom culture now more than ever. Because the Bible tells us the only thing that cannot be shaken is the kingdom of God. It's an unshakable thing. Here's what that tells me. If you're in this for you, if your greatest thought is just make your ministry known, Make your church big. If you're in this for you, and if you're in this for pride, and you're in this for flesh at any level, you're about to be shaken loose. And your influence is going to be removed. Because anything not aligned with kingdom principle will be shaken. But if I'm in kingdom principle and I'm in the kingdom of God, the actual one, and I'm with the king, I can't be shaken. Everything else is shaken off and his kingdom people just arise. Nothing can stop their ascent. Nothing. Not conspiracies, not wicked agendas, not evil spirits, not the prince of Persia, not the prince of Greece. Daniel just kept praying. And angels just keep coming to him and talking to him and showing him things. Giving him revelation after revelation. He had so much revelation, he even had revelation he had to seal up that nobody could read and haven't. They haven't read. Think about that. Powerful revelation. Amazing revelation. Because he just stayed in the unshakable parameters of the king and his nature and the kingdom of God. 
Everything around him was being shaken, but he increased. He prospered through the favor and protection that daily prayer and an obsession with God's presence will provide for you. It's time for us to get presence obsessed. Presence obsessed. Pray until you speak in tongues every day. Do not go weeks without speaking in tongues. Pray until you get a breakthrough. Every day, pray until you get a breakthrough. If that sounds alien to you, keep praying until you get there. Because I promise you, I promise you it's available. And I promise you, you can walk in it. You can absolutely walk in it. We need to be people of the presence of God and people of prayer more than we have ever been in our history as a people. People of holiness, people of character, people of the presence of Almighty God. That is what it's going to take to make it, to survive the shaking. I have to be in the king and the kingdom. I have to. I have to be obsessed with his presence. And I have to become a person of prayer. Daniel 2 and 44 says this, And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never, tell your, your neighbor, never. It shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms. And it shall stand forever. It's very powerful. It's said in the book of Daniel chapter 6, it's alluded to, and it's said in other places in Jewish histories, that when Nebuchadnezzar invaded the holy sacred space of Jerusalem, that on the day he did it, Darius was born. Darius is the one that supplants him. Darius, you can say Darius if you want, but Darius is the one that supplants Nebuchadnezzar 62 years later. And it's said that on that day, they even have it in Jewish history, the exact day that it was. On that day that he violated sacred space, his replacement was created. And 62 years later, here he comes. Darius, born on the day he violated the holy, invaded the holy violated sacred space because when we violate the sacred if you got the holy ghost if you've got the holy spirit in you there's nothing more sacred than what is inside of you when we violate that repeatedly when we take it beyond its parameters and we take it into territory that is unholy unclean and we do that over and over and over again. It damages our soul and our mind. Cognitive dissonance alone will destroy your mind. It's proven. Neuroscientists have proven it. Cognitive dissonance, believing something is truth but not living that truth, literally destroys synaptic connections and it destroys your mind, your brain function. It poisons it. When you don't live what you know to live, it poisons our mind. It's a dangerous thing. 
And so when that was violated, something very fascinating happened. His replacement, the one that would destroy his empire, the one that would step in and remove him and his influence from the world scene was born. He created what would destroy him by his rebellious nature. Where else do we see it? We see it with Saul. God tells Saul to remove Amalek completely. Leave nothing left of them. Wipe them out. What does he do? He leaves Agag alive. He leaves the choicest of the animals alive. God said, I don't even want their animals living. I want you to annihilate Amalek. He leaves Agag alive 12 hours longer than he should have. Agag is allowed to, proc- uh, to procreate, gives birth later to Haman from the Agagite from Agag, who was not supposed to be alive, to have an heir. And God sends the prophet. And the prophet Samuel walks up and says, you disobeyed God. He says, no, we beat him. We destroyed him. We conquered him. He said, no, but I hear the animals. And I see the king. And he should have been dead before I ever got here. But he's still breathing. And that's a problem. You've rebelled against the word of the Lord. But you're celebrating as though you kept the word of the Lord. And that moment and that day, Saul put something into motion that he could not stop. But God wanted him to stop. And so fast forward to his last day on the battlefield. He falls on his sword in hopes of killing himself before the enemy can overtake him. But God says, you're not going to die until something happens that I want you to understand before you draw your last breath. And as Saul is lying there, an Amalekite comes by and picks up a sword, and the last thing Saul sees is the descendant of a people that should not have even been alive to be there. The last thing he sees is the thing God told him to get out of his life. And an Amalekite comes by and finishes his life off on the battlefield. So he's looking in the face of what God told him to remove years ago. I want you to understand something. If God tells you to get something out of your life, you need to get it out of your life now, tonight, and forever. Do whatever you need to do, but kick it out, throw it out, do anything you need to do to get rid of the very thing that God has highlighted and pinpointed and said, I don't want this in your life anymore. Because if we don't, we're creating the thing that could actually destroy us if we do not repent. And I don't want a single person in this room or watching online to ever get to the point that the last thing you see standing over you triumphantly is the very thing God told you to get out of your life years ago. I don't want any of you to have to live that life. Whatever he says, remove. 
you need to remove it. He's not playing with you. He's not suggesting it mildly. If he has said remove it, please hear me tonight in the Holy Ghost and remove it. I implore you by the Spirit of the Lord, get it out of your life. Whatever it is, doesn't matter what it is. If God wants it to go, it must go. It doesn't get the option to stay. It has to go. From Nebuchadnezzar to Saul, we learn this lesson. And then we see something very interesting. We see the humility of Darius. When he finds out that he allowed his leaders to deceive him into creating a law that would cause Daniel to be thrown to the lions, the Bible says he was angry with himself. He didn't blame anyone. He said, I should have been better than this. I should have known the evil of their heart. And they appealed to his ego, and it sounded good to him. And then in the moment, getting caught up, being prideful, he agreed to a law that would send Daniel to the lion's den. And so, the humility of him to be able to say, I'm disappointed in myself, not just those guys. And he did punish them very, very exceedingly well. But he pointed thumbs, not fingers. Wouldn't it be nice to go to a church that always pointed thumbs and not fingers, to quote Cam Newton? Wouldn't that be nice? I mean, you don't point at anybody and say, it's their fault. I wouldn't have done that. Had they not done this? We don't point fingers here. We point thumbs. I'm disappointed in myself. I should have known better. I should have been better. I should have prayed more. I should have had more of the heart of God and the mind of God and the wisdom of God guiding me and leading me in that moment, and I didn't. We need to point thumbs, not fingers. And when Darius did this, it was a very powerful testament to his character and his wisdom. There's a lot to like about him, but that's something that I exceptionally am drawn to because it reminds me of this. The gifts of God are without repentance. Right? That means when he gives you that gift and it matures to a level that you can live from it and it can operate, he's not going to take it from you. No matter how wicked, no matter how carnal you become, that gift will still operate. You can still sing, you can still prophesy, you can still preach, you can still teach. Whatever your gift is, it'll still function. Here's where you have to decide the kind of vessel you're going to be. Because once I see that, I call it the intersection of grace and gifts. Once I understand that he's not going to take the gift away. And it'll still function and flow and operate. It won't keep maturing. But at that level, it'll still function and operate. Then I have to determine, am I going to still seek his face and live in his holiness, or am I just going to live from my gift and be carnal because I know he won't take it from me, so it's just going to keep operating. i got to determine what kind of person I'm going to be, 
what kind of servant to the king, what kind of son or daughter to the king I'm going to be. I have to figure it out in that moment. Because the gifts are without repentance, to be sure. But when the gifted go without repenting, it creates a problem. A serious problem. And it brings shame upon the kingdom, as Hoffnein Phineas did. Because we're living from duplicity and cognitive dissonance. And what we say does not match what we live and what we do privately. So our public declarations, there's no symmetry with our private life. That's the problem. It creates a massive problem. And it reminds me of something that I learned from a rabbi friend of mine who lives in Queens. And he showed me that when Eve gave birth, she said something that was very interesting and troubling if you read it in Hebrew. She said, I've acquired a man with the Lord. The problem is there's two different ways to say if in Hebrew. And I can say it like this. I wrote a book with Sister Clemens. That means my friend and I co-authored the book. That means without her participation and without what she brings to the table, the book is not possible because we co-authored it. So I wrote a book with Sister Clemens, which would be a lot of fun, by the way. That's a co-authoring. That's an humble statement. It would not have been possible without her contribution. That's not what Eve said. I can also say, I wrote a book with my MacBook Air. Do you see the difference between those two things? When I say I wrote a book with a typewriter or with my MacBook Air, what I'm saying is this was just the tool that I used to do my thing. This is just the instrument that I used to write my book. It's completely different, and it's very disrespectful to say that of God. Eve said, I acquired a man, and God was just the keyboard I used to do my thing. She spoke that over Cain's life. So later, when Cain brings a sacrifice, what do you think his mentality is because of what was spoken over him at birth? He knows he's supposed to bring blood. It is very obvious what he's supposed to bring. God did the first sacrifice for Adam and Eve outside of the garden. He did it and then created clothing for man and woman. So he showed them what the sacrifice was supposed to look like. So it's without excuse, Cain knows what he's supposed to bring. What does he bring instead? Red dirt. Because what you wanted was red, so I'm bringing red dirt. That's like on Valentine's Day, you forgot to get your wife a gift. So last minute, you go by and get her a silk rose and one of those cheap little Russell Stover packages of hearts with chocolates in it. And the chocolates aren't even really that good because most of them are dark chocolate and dark chocolate is trash and just not very good in my opinion. So you, you forgot and you get this gift that is an afterthought. 
Let's say your wife doesn't even like chocolates and she doesn't even like flowers. And you come in, oh, happy Valentine's Day, my love. Here's a flower you don't like and some chocolates you despise. What are you really saying to her? I don't want to please you. I'm just trying to appease you because I don't want you mad at me. That's what you're saying. That's what Cain said to God. I'm not trying to please you by bringing you what you want. I just want to appease you because I know I can't do my thing and my gifts can't operate unless you're with me. So here's an appeasing gift. You wanted blood. This is red. It's dirt. Here you go. That's like you only pray when you have to speak. It's the same thing. You only study when you have to teach or preach. It's the same thing. Because you're saying, God, here I am. I got to preach tonight. So you know now I got an altar of prayer. Now I need you to speak to me and show me what to say. Because I know I can't do this without you. So, but I'm not interested in pleasing you and walking with you every day. I'm just trying to appease you. Because I know I can't do this without you. Do you see the difference? The paradigm shift, the difference between those two things? How polar opposite they are? We have to be careful that we're pleasing him and we want to please him because we want to be with him and we want to know him and we want to walk with him and I'm not just trying to appease him because I want the church to grow or I want my ministry to work or I want to be known as being a successful minister. That's nonsense. Stop all of that. Know him. Study to know him and you'll never lack for something to say about him. That's the truth, 100%. Just study to know him. Musicians, can you come? We're just out of time again. Wednesdays are way too short. I'm going to get close to finishing this. So Jesus tells us, looking at Daniel, that everything was shaken around him, but he was shaken to the top. He prospered. He ascended when everything else was being shaken and destroyed. God tells us, Jesus tells us, Mark 13 and 8, for nation will rise against nation. He's speaking of the end time and the shaking to come that we're in the birth pangs of right now. As I'm telling you, COVID was the beginning of sorrows. So if you're waiting for some euphoric, magical time where everything goes back to normal and everything is great and wonderful again and the economy is soaring and people are just throwing money at you, it's very unlikely to happen. Very, exceedingly unlikely to happen. Don't put your hope in that. Put your hope in the kingdom. Put your hope in the source. Kingdom will rise against kingdom. There'll be earthquakes in various places. I, I, I've got all the statistics in the world to show you earthquakes and the incidents and the severity of them are absolutely higher than ever before. Earthquakes in various places. Famines and troubles. Weather patterns picking up in incidents and intensity sound familiar monsoon season in India they're saying we'll never end now the flooding there the displacing 30 plus million people this year is only expected to get worse storms hurricanes 
fires, natural disasters. Jesus told us these things will increase in incidence and intensity in the end time. Just do a cursory study and you will see that we're living in this time, the beginning of it right now. Right now. That's why it's the worst time in the world to get distracted or quit. The literal worst time in human history to get discouraged and quit. There'll be famines, troubles, pestilences, pandemics. He says these are the beginnings of sorrows. Isaiah 24, 19 and 20 says this, the earth is shaken violently. It totters like a shack for its transgression is heavy upon it. Do you know what that's saying? Let me just help you real quick with that. What that's saying is this, sin makes the earth get worse, not better. The earth has gotten worse, it is not getting better. Humanity has gotten worse, not getting better. Our genetics have gotten worse, not better. There's scientific proof for all of that. There are more diseases now than ever before. There's over 14,000 diseases and diagnoses that a doctor can give you. 14,000 ways your body can fail. The earth, what are we made of? Earth. That's why most medications come from an herb. We're made from earth. It's shaking. It's responding. It's transgression is heavy upon it. It it's shaken violently, Isaiah said. So if you wanted to know the true source of climate change, look to the effect of sin and not just carbon emissions. Look at rebellion. Look at sin. Look at the most polluted places on earth and then look spiritually at the most polluted places on earth and they're one and the same. It's pretty fascinating. The wickedness there. God told Israel, the land needed rest from your rebellion. So he sent them away for 70 years so the land could recover. Rebellion affects the earth because we are earthen vessels choosing to rebel against the creator of earth who is God. The Bible tells us sin makes the earth shake and quake and get worse. Another scripture, 2 Chronicles 36 and 21, to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed her Sabbaths, you couldn't return. As long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath because there wasn't humanity upon it to mess it up. To fulfill 70 years. You know why they're in exile for 70 years? They missed 70 Shabbat years. The seventh year was Shabbat. The land was to rest. They rebelled. They gave the land no rest. And they did that for over 490 years. And God kicked them out. Until the land could recover. The land was affected by rebellion. You want to know the true source of climate change? Look to that. The Bible told us in Isaiah it would happen before they were exiled. Thousands of years ago, climate change was prophesied. Not the reason the politicians would tell you, but the actual reason. Rebellion. 
sin. It's shaking the earth. The earth groans for the return. What does the Bible say will happen when Jesus comes back? That a child could play with a poisonous snake? That a lion will lay down and rest right next to a lamb? His carnivorous ways departed from him? Go back to being a vegetarian? Doesn't want to eat the lamb? Plays with the lamb? The earth is waiting for that. The earth is longing for his return, longing for restoration, longing for reconciliation with their creator. The earth is crying out for it. Jesus told us these things will happen. Second Chronicles 7, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin, and that will bring what? Healing to their land. That is the source. The Bible tells us. The earth is shaking because it wants its maker to come back and set things right so that it doesn't have to suffer the earth. It's very powerful. But he's not just shaking the physical earth. He's shaking the heavens. Because it's also during this time that the Lord promised that the ruling powers of darkness will be shaken from their position of influence and rule. That's why Hebrews 12 and 26 said he'll shake not only the earth but also the heavens. This isn't the highest heavens. This is a different level of heaven. This is where the spirit realm is. The heaven mentioned refers to the spirit realm, also known as the heavenly places in Ephesians 3 and 10. These heavenly places represent the spiritual dimension from which the powers and the world forces of this present darkness, the spiritual forces of wickedness, this is where they exert their rule over the nations according to Ephesians 6 and 12. He's going to shake the heavens. Isaiah 24 it says, It will happen in that day that the Lord will punish the host of heaven on high and the kings of the earth on earth. So the last great shaking is going to affect the natural and the supernatural. The earthen kingdoms and the spiritual kingdoms. And the earthen kingdom, kingdoms that are allied with the evil and the wickedness of darkness in the spirit realm. Jesus also said, Matthew 24, the powers of the heavens will be shaken. This means they're going to be removed from their place of influence and power. In this area that God is going to shake the heavens, the spirit realm, this area or region of the spirit also includes thoughts, concepts, paradigms, and cultures in nations, cities, families, marriages, and churches. Anything not aligned with actual kingdom culture will be shaken. It will fall and its influence is going to die. It will lose its influence and be exposed as false. This is what God said he was going to do. Old and new. And this is the time we're in. It is happening now. World powers are being shaken. The heavens are being shaken. Look what's happening in Russia. Look what's happening in the Ukraine. The beginning. Look for world leaders, world powers to be shaken and God to judge them. It is going to happen. It happened in the Soviet Union in 1991. Guess what day that fell? 
December 25th, 1991, the day we celebrate the birth of Jesus, God judged the Soviet Union. Just read that recently in a book by Francis Frangipane. Very powerful. On that day, God shook the heavens and judged a nation. They didn't fall because of a war. They didn't fall because of a famine. God shook the heavens and judged them because they were atheist, communist, and God judged them. 100%. That's what happened. And they say after that fall, they had more conversions in that part of the world just in a few years than they had going all the way back to the first century of the church in the book of Acts in that part of the world. So when that fell, guess what happened? Revival broke out. When God shook the heavens and God judged that nation, revival broke out. And he's getting ready to do it again. Look for it. We got a hundred million tongue talkers in China. We got Xi Jinping wanting a third term right now. Watch what God does in that nation. Watch what he does. They're about to see revival they've never known or seen before by the power of the name of Jesus. It's coming to them. There's a hundred million tongue talkers in that nation alone. You don't think God hears their prayers? God is going to shake the heavens and bring a revival to Asia. It's never known in its history. Because that's the God you and I serve. In other words, every demonic stronghold that hinders the coming forth of the kingdom of God on this earth is going to be confronted by the power and authority of Jesus' name. That is my hope, and that's what my hope is set on. Can you stand your feet all over this house? Forgive me.